Like raising funds for charity, fighting for diversity, inclusion, dispelling myths and illusions, raising health awareness, tremendous conscious athletes, marathoners and triathletes, making a difference, combating ignorance. Mm. Behind the wheel, you know the deal. Good morning, Run You Nation, and welcome back to another episode of Behind the Wheel. I'm your host, Derek Baby Ox, Baby O D Rock D Livingstone. Ooh, because you know you gotta have like 37 aliases. Oh, today we got a very special episode. Uh, we took the show live on the road to the Pacific Cycling and Triathlon Bike Shop and Cafe. That's a mouthful because we wanted to bring you this special episode featuring Kyle Halloran. Eight years ago, Kyle was terrified by the idea of an open water swim. He couldn't bike or run more than a mile from his house because of his crippling anxiety. Mm. So when I heard the, uh, when I read the, the the heading, I was fascinated. I said, yeah, I should take a trip down there and share this with our audience because I'm sure you guys would find it as fascinating as um, I did. Today, Kyle is an all-American triathlete looking to shift his focus towards coaching and helping other triathletes realize their potential physically and mentally. And he knows firsthand the impact an informed and empathetic coach can have on an individual's life. And he hopes to have a similar impact on the lives of those he will coach. Kyle has racked up an impressive career highlight reel with over four overall wins, 14 overall podiums, 16 age group wins, 37 age group podiums. I'm going to stop talking. I'm going to let you tune into the episode already in progress. Um, So I want to get something out of the way in this moment, even with a small group. I am really nervous. Um, Spoken in front of all different size groups before. I had to do a, uh, a yearbook dedication speech in front of 300. Same level of nerves right now, and I don't know why that is. Um, but I'm not telling you that so that, you know, I get that out of the way. Um, it's because I've learned to live with that feeling, and I'm okay with it. Um, so right now, what are those symptoms? I have a raised heart rate, uh, feeling a little flush in the face, my hands probably a little bit shaky, dry mouth, um, all the symptoms you probably feel right before you get into a race, um, you know that feeling and uh, the feel, feeling of doubt coming into it. Um, for about two weeks leading up to this, those, those doubts started to creep into my head. started telling myself that maybe I shouldn't do this, maybe I should call out sick, maybe I'm not qualified to speak in front of people. Um, and so I had to kind of fight through that. Um, and so I had to justify, you know, like if this doesn't go really well, I live far enough away from here that I probably won't see anyone again and I'll be okay and we'll just kind of go on our way. Um, but that embarrassment would probably still stay with me. Um, and I try to be really open and honest about those feelings because I think that they exist in all of us. We deal with that on a daily basis and that's okay. Um, I think of anything I've learned from triathlon, from endurance sports, it's to be comfortable with the uncomfortable. Um, and so I share that because my story is all about overcoming that voice, a voice that really um, beat me down for a number of years. So my story kind of started my senior year in college. Uh, that was my first panic attack. And before that, I had a really good life. Uh, and I didn't fit the profile of someone who should have anxiety, who, who might deal with panic attacks, loving, supporting parents, 
I was uh, involved in sports. I had no major traumas. Um, I, I really had no pressure on me. There was no reason for me to just kind of fall apart. Um, but a few things did change uh, that senior year. So uh, I was a Division One rower for three years in college and decided that I wanted some free time. Before that, I'd always been involved in sports and between academics and sports, my time was always structured. And that was the first time in my life that I didn't have that structure. When I quit my senior year, I was really excited to just kind of um, relax and, and do whatever I wanted when I wanted. And that felt really liberating for about a month and a half. But I think between that loss of exercise, that loss of structure, um, and the fact that I was a psych major who was graduating in 2008 when the market was crashing, um, and I was gonna have no job prospects, I hadn't done any internships, I hadn't really thought about life after college, uh, this all caught up with me. And so, right around November, I went out to a bar with my friends on a Tuesday, because that's what you do on a Tuesday. Um, and right in the middle of that night, maybe 10 o'clock, room started to shrink, black circle around my eyes. I couldn't really see, the room was shaking. All I knew is I kind of had to get out of that room in that moment. So I walked out, collected myself, walked back in, thought that that was just kind of uh, maybe like a momentary lapse there. Um, started to happen again, left, wasn't sure what was going on, went to bed, tried to sleep it off. Woke up, I assumed that that was just kind of one of those weird experiences, um, maybe something I drank, I don't know, but I, I figured I was okay, I felt perfectly fine in that moment. Went to class, uh, sat where I usually sit, right in the middle of the classroom, and about five minutes in, it started to happen again. The heart rate was raising, everything started to shake, um, and I just had this impending feeling of doom, I had to get out of there. So I walked out of the class, um, and this was one of my favorite classes a teacher, a professor had had for um, three classes before. And so at the end of it, uh, because I hadn't come back, she came up to talk to me and wanted to know what was happening. Uh, and I had no idea what it was, but I was explaining to it. Um, and she indicated that it kind of sounded like I was having a panic attack. Uh, and that was completely foreign to me. I'd never known anyone that would, had dealt with that before. And if I had, I really didn't uh, inquire enough to know what that meant. Um, but it scared me and I didn't want to look into it. I wanted to kind of pretend that everything was okay and ignore it and move on. Um, so rather than dealing with it or trying to address it, I just tried to go about my life. Uh, and I was living in denial. And the problem was from November until really May when I graduated, uh, everything just deteriorated day by day. And so I started developing phobias. Um, I was becoming claustrophobic. I could no longer just sit wherever I wanted in the classroom. I would sit right by the door. And on a good day, I would have to leave three or four times to get some water, catch my breath. And even when I was in the classroom, I didn't hear anything the professor was saying because I was constantly telling myself to calm down, to not have the panic attack. Um, and you guys know that that's not the way the mind works. If I tell you right now to not think about elephants, you're probably thinking about elephants, right? So I'm sitting there in the classroom every single day saying, don't have a panic attack, don't have a panic attack. And it got me, um, but it kept spreading. You know, I would go to lunch with my friends and I'd get a burger and fries and it would take me 45 minutes to an hour to eat this basic meal when everyone else was done in 10 minutes. So I couldn't keep up with them because I was afraid that I was gonna choke. So I'd have to get courage every time I was chewing my food to swallow the food. So eventually I just started having soup and shakes because that was the only thing I could actually get down in front of friends in like a reasonable time frame. So I was losing weight. Um, 
and that wasn't necessarily fun. Um, I didn't want to be alone. I realized that I needed to have somebody that I felt comfortable with nearby me. Um, and it just kind of got worse and worse, but it was, it was embarrassing. I would be uh, home at our house. Uh, I had five roommates and uh, discovered that new fear when they all went off to class or to study in the library. And I had to call my roommate who was studying at the library. And I was running around the house freaking out because I thought I was gonna pass out and die. Um, so he had to leave the library. He had just gotten there and just be with me. He, there was nothing he could do. He just needed to be next to me so I felt comfortable. Um, and I felt really vulnerable because there were only a handful of people who knew what was going on and I relied heavily on them. Um, but they were well aware that like something wasn't right. And so these panic attacks were happening multiple times a day. Um, and then in the meantime, I was just getting full-blown anxiety because I was worried about the next panic attack. Um, and so I was just constantly uncomfortable and, and really it was, it was stepping into depression because I was so exhausted from being worried all the time that the only time I felt okay was when I was sleeping. So I started sleeping a lot and I stopped hanging out with friends and I stopped going out and I just kind of spent time with or near the people that I felt comfortable with. And really the low point for me in that year happened in the spring because I was going home increasingly frequently. Um, I went to my parents for the weekend and I was trying to leave the very last minute to go back to school because I was dreading being at school. I uh, had dinner with them and I started driving home. I got on Route 8 and the second I got on Route 8 it started getting dark out and so I got in my head again. You know, what happens if you know I'm on the highway and all of a sudden I pass out, I get nervous, I can't go any further. And so I had symptoms that were getting stronger and stronger. So my hands went numb, my feet went numb, I pulled over, I'm on a five lane highway, there are 18 wheelers shaking my car, I shouldn't be parked there, but I can't move any further. And I called my parents um, and they're trying to calm me down. They're trying to tell me that everything's gonna be okay. Um, and I couldn't, I couldn't do it. And I told them I, I can't do this. So eventually my dad had to come pick me up. Um, and again, I could drive, but I needed him close, so I just followed him home. And so we got home, and I felt so ashamed in that moment um, that as soon as we got in the house and he looked at me, I just broke down and started crying. Um, and he kind of held me. And so I'm this 21-year-old, about to graduate college, no job prospects, um, crying in my dad's arms because I'm so terrified for the future what my life's gonna be. Um, at that moment, I figured best case scenario, I'm gonna live with my parents the rest of my life and they'll let me kind of move off of them because I can't hold a job. I'm not gonna meet anyone because I'm not gonna be able to actually go out to a bar. I can't introduce myself if I can't actually be away from like people I'm close to. Um, and I thought worst case scenario, I was gonna to have to go get some sort of psyche eval and, and be in, in a hospital somewhere. Um, and that, that was pretty terrifying because I, I simply had no idea what was going on. So, barely graduated at that point, got through that semester, moved home. The rest of my friends were going to grad school, were going to start their lives in new cities and uh, these, these great new jobs. And I moved home, no job prospects, and really uh, hadn't felt worse about myself ever. Um, and. It was, it was a tough year, but I realized that I needed to start kind of facing the facts. And so for the first time in, in eight months, I cracked open a, a DSM, a book for uh, these, these diagnostics and trying to figure out what was going on. And so I went to that, that, 
that label that my professor had given me, the panic disorder, anxiety disorder. And um, what I read about it was the first time I felt a little bit reassured that it's something that I could control. It was something that I could potentially get over, that because it was in my mind to a degree, uh, there wasn't necessarily a traumatic experience that had caused this, that there was a way for me to get over it. And I wanted to try without medication, but I was, I was open to any possible solution. But in that moment, I didn't know what that was gonna be. So there really wasn't anything for a couple of weeks, and then by chance, was driving into town with my dad. It's a cold, rainy day, and I see all these bikers. Now we're stuck in traffic, which we don't have traffic where we live unless there's something major going on. But we saw the cop cars and we saw these people kind of coming around the corner on their bikes. And I had biked before, but they weren't wearing biker outfits. They were wearing something a little skimpier, and I wasn't sure what was going on. So I'd asked him, you know, what is this? And he explained that that's, that's the Sandy Beach Triathlon. Sandy Beach Triathlon happens once a year. These are triathletes that do the swim, bike, run. Um, he said, you want to you do this? You want to train for this one for next year? Um, and it was absolutely terrifying, but in that moment, I, I kind of come to the conclusion that I would rather die trying than continue to get worse and worse because I hadn't lived with anxiety or panic attacks all my life. But whatever was happening was getting so much worse that it was it was not a sustainable way for me to live. So we started training together, and uh, it was it was kind of a disaster the way a lot of these things are when you first start out. For me, um, I struggled with each discipline. I couldn't run more than a few hundred yards away from my house. I'd have to turn back because I didn't want to be far away. Um, I didn't like the fact that it felt like a panic attack when I was running, like I couldn't breathe. Uh, the bike, it was the same thing. I pretty much stayed indoors. Um, and then in the swim, that was that was the most terrifying of all for me. I did not want the open water swim. So I would go dock to dock about 25 yards. After each 25, I would stand up, get my breath completely back, and then go again. And maybe in an hour, where I'd cover like 300 yards or something. And so it was really slow goings. Um, but for the first time in my life, I was, I was starting to feel like my own self, first time in a couple of years, I started to feel like myself again. Um, and so each workout, I was pushing it just a little bit more. And so it wasn't anything big, but maybe instead of 100 yards away from the house, I'd run 150 yards away from the house. Maybe for the next swim, I would try to go 50 yards instead of 25 before I stopped and completely caught my breath. Uh, and I chipped away at it. And I was making just about every mistake in the book along the way, and maybe a lot of us have experienced before. Um, you know, for one, I, I didn't understand what a rest week was, you know. I thought a rest week meant that you don't do anything at all for an entire week. So I would take three weeks or so and I would train, and then I would just sit on the couch and I'd be talking to my parents and how crazy these rest weeks are, I don't know how people do it. Um, and I didn't realize how much fitness I was giving away in the process, but that's what I thought it was. Um, I also used, uh, had this habit of having my lunch and then I'd eat a whole sleeve of Oreos, dip it in milk, and then obviously I'd pass out from all the sugar. And then I'd wake up and go for a run and I couldn't understand why I felt like garbage on these runs and I assumed it was just because that's what running is, it just doesn't feel very comfortable. So there were things along the way that obviously I, I could improve on, but for me, even with all those mistakes, I was eating it up. I was loving every minute of it. I was reading all the magazines, I was watching those color specials, I was just completely inspired. Um, but, but still, still very nervous about the swim. And so we got ourselves to the point where we, 
we, uh, we were ready to race and I remember going there the day before and looking out of the water and just kind of seeing that as like do or die. And it's, it's kind of dramatic, but that's what it felt like to me in that moment. It felt like I'm either going to get through the swim and I'll probably get through the bike and run as well, or I'm gonna panic in the water and that's gonna be it for me. I mean, that was my thought. If you panic in the water, you sink. If you don't have oxygen in your lungs, you go down. Um, so I had to sleep on that one for that night and that was hard. When we got to the race, something had kind of changed. When I got there, I stopped looking at this, this big unattainable task in front of me, the entire swim. I started looking at individual uh, lifeguards. I said, okay, they have a surfboard here, a kayak here, 25 yards out. I said, I'm not looking at this, this whole 500 yards. I just need to get to that guy or that girl and then I'll take a break if I need to. And so those small attainable steps really made a big difference for me because I'd get there and I'd pause and then the next time I noticed that I felt okay, but just knowing what was there made a really, really big difference for me. Um, and again, I made those transition mistakes. I got through that swim and I felt great, but then I realized all the things I wasn't doing right. I, I changed my outfit twice throughout that race. It's really hard to change a triathlon outfit when it's soaking wet but that's what I thought you were supposed to do. I didn't tie my shoelaces, I didn't have any of those elastic laces, and when you're like really working hard, your fingers don't work quite as well, so I couldn't tie my shoelaces. Um, but I completed it, and it was a really good feeling, and I was hooked, I was absolutely hooked. And from that moment on, it was all about the next race, and then the next workout that was gonna improve the results of those races. Um, and so, that was my focus, kind of just chipping away at it little by little and the results were coming and it was starting to look good. Um, but then, you know, life started to happen and it started to get really busy and I, I met someone and I was about to have a kid and my results were starting to flatline again. So I felt like I needed the next challenge. Um, and so I started looking around for a coach and uh, looked online and found this guy Cliff and he looked like a cool guy. And so I gave him a call and, and he, was, he was ready to take me on as an athlete. So. I started working with him, had my first daughter, and I was like, listen, I've, I've done one half Ironman before. You know, at this point, we're like three three years fast forwarded, and I've done one race, and I said, you know, I did five hours and 13 minutes, I blew up on the run, like clearly, I'm into the sport and I'm really enjoying it, but I don't know what I'm doing. I'm really just trying to work out a lot and hope, hoping for results. So I said, you got three months, like, can we get under five hours? And he was confident. So we went through that summer, you know, dealing with all like the new parent issues and, and training along the way. And I was surprised by how much energy I had because I certainly wasn't sleeping at that time, but I was feeling rested. And I was a little bit worried about that because it almost felt too easy. Like these longer runs, I thought they were supposed to feel harder. I thought you were supposed to work as hard as possible to get your results. Uh, and so I was a little uh, skeptical of what was gonna happen when I got to Maine for my second 70.3. And we got there and went 426 and I was, I was blown away. I was blown away that I could shave 40 minutes off my time in three months and not feel like I was working harder. So I go from the panic attacks and anxiety and feeling really insecure to starting to feel pretty secure about myself and moving on to these races and then seeing the coaching aspect of like how much more you can get out of yourself when you have a plan, when you have somebody kind of there with you chipping away at those results. Um, and I've now been with Cliff three, four years, 
and the results have been fantastic. I mean, I've, I've won multiple races, I've been on the podium a, a number of times. Every single race I go to, I'm, I'm there to win. But for me, triathlon's not really about the competition. I love the competition, but now it's about like, what are you giving back and what is that culture you're creating within the sport? Today's episode of Behind the Wheel is sponsored by our friends over at Pacific Cycling and Triathlon. It's an excellent resource center where anyone that enjoys the sport can come in, learn more about what's involved, improve their endurance and skills, or purchase top-of-the-line products and equipment sold by professionals who live the lifestyle they promote. Or you can simply do like I do from time to time, pop it in the cafe for some bulletproof coffee and monkey bread. But don't tell anyone I'm supposed to be training. Like Kyle, Julie, the shop owner, knows just how daunting it can be to start a new event, especially one that's attached to a triathlon. Julie says she remembers when she couldn't swim more than one lap in the pool, but by continuing to practice and learn more about the sports involved, but by really just getting out there and do it, she caught the bug. Julie and Lori want to inspire and lead others to accomplish their personal athletic goals and are hoping that novices and pros alike will heed their message and just get out there and try. Pacific Cycling and Triathlon is Southwest Connecticut's best cycling and triathlon shop, and they're conveniently located right in the heart of Stanford, 984 Hybrid Road in Stanford, Connecticut. See you there. And for me, when I first started about eight years ago, it was kind of an intense atmosphere. I remember going into, um, you know, like a tri shop or a bike shop, and it felt like everyone was sizing you up as soon as you got in there. They wanted to know what your FTP was and how you're doing on the track and, you know, like how was your longest workout. And it felt really intimidating and I felt really inadequate whenever I talked because there was always somebody doing something better than I was. And so it was really cool to go to these races and be winning and, like, actually smile at everyone. Because, like, I always saw the winners and they just, like, kind of grimace and run by you, and I didn't like that. So I wanted to give people high fives. Like I wanted this sport to be fun and, and enjoyable for everyone and, and show that everyone's there for the same reasons. Just like take, take themselves to the next level. So for me, I took a few notes from, from this experience, right? One is as far as what I learned in my journey, triathlon was super helpful. Getting a coach was super helpful. Um, there are kind of like steps along the way. It's not like you just start training for a triathlon. It's like if you're dealing with anxiety or stress, like it all goes away. That's not how it happens. It did take years for me. And I still have those moments where I'm not entirely sure how it's gonna go. I still have those moments of doubt. I broke my foot last year, so I wasn't gonna train. I lost months of training, and that was the first time since the initial panic attacks and anxiety that I wasn't going to be training. And my family was thinking the same thing I was, but they didn't tell me, which was like, He's gonna, he's gonna relapse here. He's gonna go back into his spiral. He's gonna have panic attacks and anxiety. And I didn't. And I found Instagram, which my wife wasn't too happy about, and that was helpful for me. But like, that was part of my therapy in the process. What I realized was the skills that I had learned through triathlon as I was getting over my anxiety and my panic attacks, I could apply those outside of the sport. Some of those things are, are focused on these short-term goals, right? So this is one of those for me. I always have a checklist, making sure that whatever I need to do for the day or the week is right out in front of me. And whenever I do something, I cross it off. That's really huge. And I feel like we don't necessarily give ourselves credit enough when we get the little things done. But my checklists start with the, the menial tasks, the easiest things you can imagine. But I'm going to give myself credit for it. 
And it's not much different in training. When you say there are going to be the four-hour rides on the weekend, there's also going to be a 30-minute easy run on Monday or Tuesday. They're all important and making sure that you give yourself credit. And so there's that, there's that dynamic between like a checklist and like a training piece, if you're familiar, where when you finish a workout, it lights up green. That sense of accomplishment is fantastic, but that's your way of crossing it off. I did that. That's my accomplishment for the day. And I don't need to worry about anything else besides what I've done today and maybe focus on what's happening tomorrow, but not getting too far ahead of myself. And I think ultimately, that's where the stress, anxiety, panic attacks were coming from. I was thinking way out ahead. I was thinking about all the things I couldn't accomplish. I was thinking about all the things I wasn't gonna be able to achieve or the, the things about myself that I thought were inadequate. But it comes back to what I told you at the beginning here, which is like all the things I'm feeling right now, I can live with that and I'm okay because I know that's not a reflection of like who I am as a person or where I'm gonna go in life. I know that if I stick with it long enough, I'm gonna get there but I need to take it step by step. So I'm not as nervous right now, and it's because I just focused on the little things I needed to talk about bit by bit. And that's how it works in triathlon, that's how it works in life, in my opinion. You just kind of take what you can, little by little, and it all builds. And so, for me, I think that it's important to note that yes, I am part of TriStar Athletes, I have some of my, uh, my other apprentice coaches here, and I really appreciate it for their support. But this is also important for me on my journey. The reason I want to coach is because I want to share that knowledge with other athletes. I want people to achieve the results that they want to achieve, but it's not about winning the race. It's about accomplishing what you're setting out to accomplish. Maybe that's getting in the water for the first time. Maybe that is setting a PR on the run, or maybe it's just like getting regular exercise and feeling good about yourself. Everyone's goals are equally important. And as a coach, I want, I want every athlete to feel that way that it doesn't matter what happens on race day, what matters is what you did on the way there and how you feel about yourself. And so I do want to share briefly just what, what this is. TriStar Athletes, uh, we're a part of this apprentice program that allows coaches to kind of ease into the process of becoming a coach. So when I'm level one, that means I'm finishing up year one of this program where each week I'm getting more and more information from our principal coach, who is, who is my coach, Cliff. And it's allowing me to coach, but also have all of my questions answered uh, along the way. Because I think a lot of people get into it and they're kind of taking a risk. If you want to be a coach, you jump in and, and you don't necessarily know what you're talking about. The reason I found this is because I was trying to get certified through USAT, through all these other organizations, but they want coach experience in order to let you into the program. Well, I wanted I wanted a certification before I could start coaching anyone because I didn't know what I was doing. So I felt like I was locked out. This was the first opportunity I had to actually learn along the way, get the certification, but also work with an athlete while getting coached myself because it's really hard. Um, so for me, whether it's the results I'm looking for in triathlon or whether it's helping my athletes as a coach or whether it's just life advice, I think everyone should have a coach. Everyone needs a coach. You can call it a life coach, you can call it an endurance coach, you can call it whatever you want, but someone there to kind of help you along. Like, share those insecurities, talk about the things that you want to achieve, geek out over the sport you love. Like, a lot of us come here, I imagine, because you have that opportunity to talk about it and it's a safe space to do so. That's really cool. But, but that's, that's my journey. Yeah. I want to now take what I've learned and share that with other athletes. So, that's all I have. I do want to thank uh, everyone at Pacific because this has been um, pretty much the only tri club I've ever been a part of.
and I've always appreciated here. And I think that this company shares that idea of not wanting to intimidate, wanting to welcome everyone in and make, make everyone feel like they're part of the family, and that's really important. But that's all I have, and I'm happy to answer individual questions. Yeah. Yeah, I just thought because <clears throat> what you were describing was a pretty severe case of anxiety. But did you seek any kind of medical health care or medication? Has medication been offered? I'm sure it's been offered to you, but has that played a part in your in your life, your training, and, yep. uh, and everything like that? And how have you dealt with that? So I, I saw a counselor for a few sessions, and it was it was someone in college, so there was no continuation. Now, full disclosure, my mother is uh, a, psych a psychologist, so. You know, I did share a lot of information with her. Is your mother here? <laughs> She's not. Um, but for me, you know, when I moved home, I was I was starting that discussion of medication, and so it's I'm not anti-medication to deal with these things. Um, I was ready to go that route. I think the tricky part is that everyone responds to it differently, and, and you know, the dosage. I think ultimately everyone gets on medication to be able to get off the medication. You know, and so it's it's tricky. And for me. I think I have an addictive personality, and I was worried about throwing another log in the flame. You know, I, I wanted to make sure that whatever I did was with full intention, and I didn't trust myself to to medicate and not have that become part of the problem. I know lots of people that medicate, and that has been a huge help for them, uh, but it wasn't my path. So basically, you've dealt with this by just chipping away, as you were saying, and uh, embracing it, yeah. as opposed to fighting it. Yeah, I mean, training has really been my drug. It, it, it has in the sense that when I when I get into like an intense session, it's the exact feeling I had when I was having a panic attack or anxiety without the fear. Um, and so, you know, I think it's it's important to be able to like live with that discomfort and say like this is okay. But there are times where I can feel it coming on, and I know like I need a session that's really going to like push that out of me. Um, I think the dopamine is really helpful. But it's been a shift in mindset. I mean, for anyone that's familiar with Simon Sinek, he's, he's been on TED Talks. He does a lot of motivational speaking. He talks about this idea of nervous versus excited and saying that physiologically it's the exact same thing. The only difference is how you interpret it. And that too often we say, I'm so nervous, I'm so nervous. And really, you know, a step in the right direction is saying, well, this is exciting. You know, that can make a big difference. I've tried it. It doesn't work for me. Um, but I think that there's something to it that with enough practice, that, that shift can make a big difference. And I think that that's what like biking and running does for me is whatever I'm nervous about before the ride, usually I'm excited for the challenge by the end. Have you developed tools to get you out of kind of situations? Like when you're in the water and you feel pretty on, you develop really heavy like that? Yeah, so um, open water most often when it's happened. It's happened a couple of times in races because it's, you know, everyone's been there. You get dumped once in a while. Um, so. Swallowing water when you're trying to breathe in, that'll get you. I usually go on my back, uh, assuming we have a wetsuit on, you're pretty buoyant. And so the only thing that can sink you is you at that point and, and getting so worked up that you kind of fight your way to the bottom. Um, but as far as the tools are concerned, I force myself to think about something positive because in that moment, all you can possibly think about usually is the impending doom, like the worst case scenario. So you have to tell yourself, that it's not going to happen, that it's so unlikely to happen, and that ultimately you're going to be able to like talk yourself out of it. You know, like when I get really worked up and it's happened, you know, here and there, I know that it's just kind of baby steps. I'm not trying to get my breath back all at once. 
But if I try to take one deep breath and just kind of take note of the fact that like I'm still conscious and I'm still here, then I know the next breath's gonna be a little bit better. And so as far as the tools are concerned, trying to take it by breath is, is my big thing. Is that when we panic, it's really quick and labored. Um, if you can slow it down and kind of think about the breathing more than anything else, it's a step in the right direction. But as far as the thing you have to think about besides the breathing, you kind of got to find your happy place. Everyone's is a little bit different. Um, but yeah, that's what works. Uh, do you meditate at all? Yes. So uh, my wife is a yoga instructor, and so I've tried the typical meditation. Um, but something that I, I kind of talk about with my students is that meditation is really a mindset, and so there's the stereotype of, of the posture that's held when you're meditating. Um, but really, it kind of goes back to that idea of you know you're breathing positive energy in, and you're kind of releasing the negative energy. Um, and so for me, meditating a lot of times happens on on the bike or on the run, and that's where I like to do it. And so my indoor training, people like hate the treadmill so many people i love the treadmill i'll do it all day and i'll stare at a wall if i have to um but what i like to do is either just look at the numbers and just watch them slowly tick and think about that along with my breathing or i'll put in music and i'm thinking about my my rpms with my feet and i align that with my breathing how many steps per breath in how many steps per breath out and when I really get into a rhythm, that's when I start to think about like all the things in my life that I'm grateful for when I'm breathing in, and all the things in my life that I'm ready to move past when I'm breathing out. And so there are steps along the way, but I do think that there's something to be said for training under like really boring, mundane circumstances and not always having something visually appealing, um, because I think that that builds a lot of mental strength in the process. Anything else? Well, I just commend you for being Thank you. Yeah, it's it's stigmatized, and it yeah. still is, and I think we're moving in the right direction. Yeah. Um, but now is as good a time as ever for people to share their experiences yeah. and have empathy for one another, and I think that that's really important. I think that that's that's the only way in sport or in life that we move forward is when we can show compassion for each other, and empathy, and the only way to really do that is to be vulnerable and share your story um, and just kind of take down the facade. If you have other questions, I'm happy to stick around and answer them, but I really appreciate you guys uh, listening to me and, and the other time.